Welcome to another episode of the Talking Small Podcast. We are in the Garden District with Uncle Al and myself, the executive producer, your boy Harley. So tonight on this episode, we call my cousin Kenny. You might know him as Kane if you played Halo with him back in the day. We talk a little introduction to who he is. We go into Halo. We go into some property type investments. Then we go into a little more stock type investments and then to wrap it up and put a bow on it we give a little dating advice at the end if this is your first time checking out the podcast you can follow us on soundcloud stitcher tune in google itunes we're pretty much anywhere podcasts are and you can follow us on instagram at talking small pod and twitter at talking small pod now let's get to sam deli and Cousin Kenny. Welcome to the Talking Small Podcast, where we make that podcast platinum. Samurai Deli, put a viewers in. Let's go. All right, now joining the podcast is our, actually my cousin, my cousin Kenny, and uh, he is, I've, I've known him for pretty much my whole life because he's older than me, so shout out to him for surviving in this world longer than I have. He's the, originally from the New Orleans area, I want to say Chalmette, is that correct? It's a uh, Poydras, more accurately. Okay, Poydras, if you, the, the street or the city, is there actually a Poydras city? Yeah, it's it's Poitras, uh, like in, in Saint Bernard Parish. So it's, you go Saint Bernard Parish is first to Shumat, then there's uh, Merode and Violet, and even further down is Poitras. That's where my dad used to live. Okay, so since you're from the parish, is there like a different sect between Shalmet and and Poitras, or because no Shalmatians are looked down upon? I I I'm not that parochial. I, I would not know that. I have no clue what that word means. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that, I don't know. Provincial. Local, lo, localized, I guess would be the right word. Like, local rivalries between small municipalities. I, I don't know. I don't oh, Harley's getting stuck in the weeds here. All right, so <laughs> so Kenny, my uh, my co-host here is my buddy Al, who you've met a, about a couple times, a handful of times, during some Halo Land. So that's kind of really how a lot of my friends know you is from some epic Halo lands back when we were in high school. So you, you became probably, a, a legend. Yeah, they, we were... They probably, remember, they probably remember me as a bully. This is a bully. Well, you were a bully on the, on the Halo map, but uh, I think Har- we were having a big land one time, and Harley goes, hey, my cousin's coming. We're like, what does your cousin do? We haven't met this cousin. You're like, oh, he, he delivers pizzas. Uh, he's pretty good at Halo. He'll come. And uh, Harley knows a little bit more details about it than I do, but what ended up happening, Harley? Did he buy an Xbox on the way to the land because we needed one? So, so the rumor is, Kenny, we were, we were doing, like, multiple boxes and had multiple TVs. I think we were trying to get, like, 16 people land or close to it. So we needed another Xbox. And, Kenny, if I'm not mistaken, you actually went to the store and bought a new Xbox w- with a copy of Halo one for a land is that true 
No, I don't think that happened. I don't. I, I thought. I thought I, the most I would have done is probably bought it. I probably would have not bought, but would have bought when I like a TV or something. That might have been it. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't have bought. I wouldn't have bought an Xbox for that because I already had one. Well, yeah, I think you came with like two Xboxes, a couple of Halos, and yeah, maybe a monitor or something like that. Yeah, I didn't buy. I already had that stuff at the house, but uh, I still bought it. So, uh, do you remember your pizza delivery days? Was was that a, a good way to get some capital early on? <laughs> I mean, it's I don't know. I was twenty years old. I don't know. Kind of just doing. It was just a job. I, I'm not really. I wasn't in an investment mindset back then, but it was a lot. It was a, it was a fun job for a twenty year old because you get to drive around and for most of the day and just kind of listen to music, and not be in the store. So. You want, I, don't, I didn't take. I didn't. Obviously, the job is not serious. It's just something I was kind of just wanted to do. It's just a young. You know. Do you want to shout out the company you used to deliver for? Or you guys left on bad terms. Do I want to shout out to them? I mean, I, I'm not, I like. I mean, I like Domino's. It's good. I just don't. We didn't leave on bad terms. Okay. So, Kenny, one of the most memorable quotes we had is you. You walked in, and I don't know if you were at my house or one of my buddies' houses at the time, and you saw our friend Tommy. And you looked at him and said, "Oh, do you work out?" And Tommy was like, uh, "He played football for uh, our high school and stuff." So Tommy was a big workout. So you kind of walked in, sized up the biggest dude, and immediately asked if he worked out. I don't. I don't wait. I don't. I don't think that I did that as a challenge. I was just probably just being friendly. <laughs> you gave him an ocular pat down, and then when he entered in his gamer tag as White Hulk, you uh, your suspicions were proven correct. But Harley, uh, later ever, when Halo Two came out and Xbox Live had clans, Kenny had one of the he was a big swinging dick on the online community. He had like a top five clan, it was right, Kenny? Yeah, I, the first clan we were in was Wraith Legion, and that kind of uh, I don't know. It, it got we were I thought we were the first for maybe like a week or so, and that was a, that might have been in December or January. I can't remember. Uh, I, yeah, that was that was the clan name at the time. I just think uh, I think around for like a very small period they were the top clan in the nation. They didn't play they didn't play competitively though. It was kind of just it was just kind of on the Halo. There was what when Halo Two came out, there was some new. And this is you got to remember this was back in two thousand four, uh, a long time ago, and they had this new feature come out where they put all the stats on the website or something. And it was kind of a new, it was kind of a new feature for any sort of video game. And you would go to it, and we were the top clan for like a week or two weeks or something. I can't, re- I, I can't recall how long it was. It was, it was only briefly though. Damn, Kenny downplaying the success of Wraith Legion. You don't have to explain to us, but the viewers may not know about that. The those battle net stats. But uh, do you ever think about going into Halo tournaments? Well, I, yeah, I did. I did briefly. I, I mean, I. Uh, I went into a couple. I only won one, like a small game trader one that had maybe only eight or nine people. And even then, I only won it. I only won it because I was smart enough to bring a stool, and everyone else had to stand and play. So I had the <laughs> advantage. I, I had the advantage of sitting down and playing because I had my own stool. So it was kind of funny. There was this one guy who, him and me were, we were playing the last match. Right? Who would be the top top one? And I beat him. 
he might have beat me if he had a because he actually seemed better than me. But he might have beat me if he actually had some if he could actually sit down. But I guess I would I had the foresight to bring a stool because I knew you couldn't sit down. When you played the game. Do you still have that stool? Do I, no, I don't. Probably not. I don't. I don't. I don't know. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. The thing is, competitive. Uh, competitive gaming, especially. I mean, Halo back then. It, it was just starting. But those guys are on a whole nother level. I mean, you think I'm great, or I, I was playing great, but those guys are on a whole nother level. They're they're playing. They're. I mean, they're basically playing nine hours a day, as if it's a work. You know, they're, they're treating it professionally, so they're treating it as a, as a career. So they're going in trying to get like trying to win, trying to get sponsors. I mean, if I played against those guys, I mean, I, I might, I might fare. I basically might get dominated the way I dominated lesser players. So, I mean, there's a, there's a we have to keep things. That we got, we got to keep things like at a real, at kind of a we got to at a relative standpoint. Obviously, I was, I was far better than maybe 90% of the players or 95% of the players, but that top 1% would be obviously be far better than me. I might have been in the top. I may have been in the top five percent, but that top one percent was a whole other level. I mean, you see somebody. I, I played with. I played with some people who are really good, and even even my peers, some of my peers, like members of old members of Race Legion, old and other members of in Halo. When we would play, sometimes my kill death ratios were about. I get thirteen kills and maybe twelve deaths. So I'm, I'm barely positive. Or thirteen kills, eleven deaths. But if you, but if you're playing against those those pro those pros, the guys who are doing the tournaments and all that stuff. I mean, they, they can, I don't know, you can, I might even go negative. So they're, they're still a lot better than me. I mean, because they trained a lot more. Well, didn't Halo 2, one of my favorite quotes you ever gave us was Halo 2 caters to the weak? Halo 3. Oh, Halo 3 Halo catered 2. to the weak. I'm sorry. So Halo 2, Halo 2 was, uh, Halo 2 was the peak, at least the prime for me, because that game, that game came out, and it was. It had a very. How would I how would I say this? It had a very distinct hierarchy of weapons. Some weapons were weak. Some weapons were great. And if you can, and you can increase the mathematical probability of success in each engagement if you have the weapon, if you have a weapon at the right time. So if I if I have a rocket launcher, and I walk into a small room, I know anyone who comes in that small room, I got about a ninety percent chance of killing them. And they got about a 10% chance of killing me because simply because the way you have the weapon position, and you, and that's how you kind of just you just increase the mathematical odds by the way you position yourself. But when Halo 3 came out, they neutered all the weapons, so they were kind of it kind of was uh it kind of was like it kind of was like a so like, almost like a if you kind of understand like like a socialism type effect where you went from having this huge hierarchy of weapons in, in Halo 2 where some were very, very, very powerful, like this, the rocket launcher, the sword, and they neutered those weapons, and they kind of strengthened the weaker weapons, so all the weapons were more balanced in Halo 3. So in Halo 3, you couldn't, you couldn't, um, you couldn't increase mathematical odds of success as well as in Halo 2, and that's what, and that's what was really frustrating because if you were, if you were a great player in Halo 2, you can get, you can get these massive kill death ratios. But in Halo 3, you weren't able to get them as well because the weapons weren't as strong. And like, like for example, I think I think a good example would be the tank. The tank on Halo 2, you can uh, you get in the tank, you can shoot, you can shoot it, you can shoot the cannon at the same time. But in Halo 3, 
you needed two people in the tank. So the same, so the same destructive power one person can have in the tank on Halo 2, you needed two people to do it on Halo 3. So they, they kind of neutered all the weapons. And then the sword, too. The sword was weak. It went, Halo 2, the sword was very dominant. It was really fun to play. You can get, you can get, I can get 15 straight kills with it if I use it intelligently, and, or even more. But Halo 3, they made, it, they made it visible so you can see. They, dis- they decreased the switching speed so you couldn't, so you couldn't switch, uh, you couldn't switch from, your, from uh, your primary weapon to your sword really quick. And then they, they, made, they made the range. They weakened the range. They, weakened, they, they put a, like a, a power limit on it. So it was basically useless when Halo 3 came out. It was only kind of there for novelty. So all the weapons were, all the weapons were like fundamentally weaker on Halo 3. So it just wasn't as fun because you're gonna go, gonna go on these massive killing sprees. The biggest killing spree I went on Halo 2 was something like, it was like 80 kills and like zero deaths. Not to brag. And yeah, like I went on 80 kills. Like it was like it might have been 70 or 80 kills. 70, I think it was 77. 70, He's 70, unstoppable. 70, yeah, well, I, I did 77 kills and zero deaths on Halo 2. By Halo 3. Putting that same effort, I can only get maybe 35 to 40 kills in zero deaths. So you see, it's kind of like it kind of it kind of it kind of weakened it kind of weakened like what you like the amount of potential in each player. So everyone had an assault rifle now, so everyone kind of defend themselves really well. So I, I didn't like that. It kind of it just wasn't it wasn't that fun. And plus, the hitboxes were kind of shitty too. You had you would snipe someone in the head and they would still be alive, and you'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> just like so you didn't. You couldn't like actually have as much fun. All right, so Kenny, I think we I think we uh, got really into the weeds there on Halo, and I think that our viewers are going to love that. But now we're going to go to the meat and potatoes of why we've called this pod. We're going to get into investments. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, Kenny. First off, can you describe your job in layman's terms? Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, it's not really, I'm just an investor. What I mean is what I'm doing with my investments is I, I invest myself. I'm not really, I'm not in a securities business where I'm trying to like, or a broker or trying to earn commissions. No, I'm right now. I'm currently just a landlord. I'm just, I'm, I collect, I collect rent from, uh, I collect rent from tenants and I just buy stocks at the moment. So that's pretty much all I do. I was reading your website last night, doing some very in-depth research, and you said, "Well, what uh, is his website? Shout it out for him." Oh, well, no free ads. Okay, <laughs> I made like a dick I, move. <laughs> well, it's kennethmarshall.com. Marshall with one L. Yeah, Kenneth with two N's. But on your website, kennethmarshall.com, it says you are an ambidextrous investor. What does that mean? No, ambidextrous just means I write with both hands. Was, well, you wrote that, know, yeah, but in investor terms, like that's on your website. So does that mean you click the mouse with both hands, or? <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to throw that out there. I'm, I'm, I'm right and left. I'm left and right-handed. So. Uh, oh, all right. Sorry, I didn't mean to be a gotcha journalist there. I was just a little, um, you know, nah, curious not, about that statement. To do with investing. I mean, it just, I kind of, I don't know. It's, my website is not really a business. It's just I was gonna I was, originally I was gonna make it for uh, maybe if I if I kind of put a resume up there if someone wants if a job if I ever want to get a job but I didn't apply for a job for a long time and then I kind of just started writing my investment philosophy on it now I just kind of I, I have it up there I use it to teach maybe so it, I mean it's not necessarily 
originally I wanted it for like a job thing. Now it's just I put my investment philosophy on it for some reason. So you said, you know, if you were to get a job, is this your full time job? No, oh, yeah, I'll, I'm a full time investor at the moment. So how did you build the bankroll to be able to do that? Uh, well, no, I have, uh, I have some savings. I got I got savings from I got savings from family too. I mean, that doesn't. I'm not like some massively successful investor. I mean, I did. Uh, I made some money with. It was a Mitsubishi scandal. They had some scandal, and they their stock dropped really far, and then it bounced back up a few weeks later. I sold, made a good amount on that. But uh, no, it's mostly just savings throughout my life. Can you explain this Mitsubishi scandal? What well, was no, the big scandal? Scan- there had some emission scandal going on where they didn't. I don't know. They were kind of. They were. I don't. I, I really don't. I, Remember, they were like there was regulators, and they were I don't know, they were high, they were hiding the amount of emissions their cars were making. The stock fell from like it was like it might have been like somewhere on seven or eight dollars a share to like three or something. It was like a massive fall, and I just bought it and like it recovered like a few weeks later, and I sold some money. But no, most of my most of my savings are from whether from family, which is just honest, or just I save like ten percent. No matter what I make a month, you know it doesn't matter what I'm working, what job I'm working, I always save ten percent and put it in savings for later. So I just built that up too. Oh, and the military, the military also, because when I was in Iraq. When I was when I when I went to the army in 2008, I didn't have a lot of uh, I didn't actually have a lot in my bank account, but because I was in the army and stationed in the army, and I didn't have to pay bills, it, it just kind of like I kind of you know you got you got a little bit of a bonus, and plus when I was in Iraq, I didn't have to pay bills for like a whole year, and just I kept saving, so I kind of just saved that. Yeah, you weren't going to the PX and uh, buying Beats headphones like our buddy Bob does. <laughs> well, I mean like. Well, I mean, like, I think even when I'm in Alaska, I didn't spend too much. So I kind of, I, I can save. Even in the military, I mean, you can eat, you can eat the, you can eat the jail hall. You don't have to spend money on food too much, and especially when you're on deployment, you don't spend any money. So unless you want, unless you really want to, but it's that's cool too. It allows you, it allowed me to save a little bit when I got out of the army. You definitely don't have very many expenses in Alaska because there's nothing to do, and they pay you to live there. Is that a good investment well, I mean, strategy? Yeah, Move to yeah. Alaska. I don't, I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't, it's not really worth it. It's like, I, well, the military paid me an extra, what, four or 500. I, I don't, I don't know how much, I don't know how much the overseas, it was like technically an overseas station. They consider Alaska overseas. So they paid you maybe a little bit extra. They gave you a little extra bonus. I don't know if it was like 300 a month or 400 a month. It was just kind of a little bit extra. So uh, how many, how many days do you work? Uh, how many hours a day do you work as like an investor? Mm, not too much. I mean, I, it depends on how much. The thing is, most right now I'm doing the – I have an investment club on Facebook, the New Orleans Investors. It's just a charity. So I do uh, – that takes a few that takes a few hours out of my day because I post properties for people. So it's mostly just a charity for people to network. I just use – that takes – that takes – that can take a few hours out of the day or maybe even four hours out of the day. But looking at the stock market doesn't take me very long in the morning. I mean, I – when I uh, when I first started doing stocks, I had to actually work a lot because I was learning and I had to read about companies. I've read about so many companies, but now I kind of just have them on like a watch list. I kind of just watch them, so I don't really. I'm not researching as much as I used to anymore because I already kind of read about the companies. So and I kind of I have them on a watch list and I kind of study them every now and then. But you know, that, you know that's not that's not really full time though. Kenny, uh, one of the scandals in the Facebook group for the properties. There's bots, and we've had our share of bot problems. 
Bots seem to be infiltrating the group. Oh yeah, like I, I have a. There's always like like today I had two profiles trying to join. That some guys like, and you can say the profiles were created. One was in June of 2019, which is you know we're in June 2019 now. And another was in like May of 2019. So like I some like flips some like I get so many. Some they slip through the cracks. And some some people like they join they well, they, they they request to join, and I think other members I might have to turn that feature off. Other members might approve. I'm not really sure if that's because sometimes I see they're already they I see that they request to join and then ten minutes later they're already a member. I didn't approve it, so something might be up there. But I, basically, I'm getting I don't know. There might be like ten percent of them or ten percent of them or five percent of them may get through the cracks or something. But I'm getting I'm mostly weeding them out. Any any profile that's any profile that has like a 2019 uh, date or, or recent date, or they're from like a whole nother country, or had someone from Bangkok try to join it once, so it was like no. So, uh, hopefully, you're not getting too many, uh, too many. Uh, why can't someone botany. from Why can't someone from Bangkok join? That seems a little xenophobic. They like investments too. Well, get all of that foreign money it's, it's in. A little, it's a little bit odd when someone from Bangkok wants to join and. Uh, you know, it, it wants to join a group called New Orleans Investors or New Orleans Area. Usually, they would. Usually, they can if they if they contact me and they're like, if they talk to me and prove that they're a real profile and say, well, hey, I, maybe I'm traveling to the U.S. I'm interested in New Orleans. I'll let them join. But it's kind of weird seeing someone who from Bangkok care about New Orleans real estate. I don't know. It's just it's just kind of odd. It, it just basically you don't you don't want to assume. If I see someone has an early join date, or like they're from a different area, or a different part of the country, or a different country, you don't want to automatically assume they're fake. Or you know, you don't want to just add them. Well, Kenny, one of the uh, people that I asked to join who got in is that made it through the filters is our buddy, our lawyer, Chrissy Thompson. So he's been mm-hmm. he's been perusing all the properties. He's in New Orleans renting now, maybe future buyer. So he's a uh, He's definitely giving me some feedback on all the properties you post on there. And one of the things that I guess we've been kind of talking about is how do you, uh, how do you one, calculate what you project the ROI is going to be on a rental property? And two, at what point do you pull the trigger instead of showing this rental property? Do you just act on it? Well, you saying the first question was how I contacted, how, how I, how I, determine what the income or something is that what, is that what the first question yeah because you got like a, a per, not, maybe not ROI wasn't the right word but you 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 um you give a, a estimated uh rate of uh return on the properties and so I was wondering how you calculate that what goes into your formula well it's just simple I mean you just take what the rent would be and you divide it by the price I mean when you take the rent you take the rent, um, you take the, whatever the rent's going to be, and you times, of course, you time, if it's like two, if, if it's a double, there's two units, use times and times two, give me times and times 12, because, of the, because you say, well, it earns this much a month. So you times that by two, then you times that by 12, then you just figure out what the expenses are, and I kind of just use a general estimate. So it's like, well, for any any parish other than Orleans, I'll use 40% expenses. It's just a general rule. It's a general rule of thumb. It's it's, each property is unique, but you want to look at you want to you want to kind of do it and analyze stuff by a general rule of thumb at first. So I do six I do forty percent expenses and for Orleans I might do more forty five. I just so you take that off 
you take that off what the revenue would be, and then you just divide it by divide it by the price, and then you just get the return. Okay, so on those properties, are you are you sharing them as a uh, like, hey, any, if anybody's interested, let me know, and we can go in together, or is this more of just you're sharing properties, but these aren't necessarily ones you're going after? It's both. I mean, I would say it's both. I uh, if you ask me when I'm going to pull the trigger. I mean, I don't know if there was a if there was a Saint Bernard double or a double or like or even Mid City. I mean, if there's something offering a very good return, then I mean the purpose of the purpose of the page is not just to show good investments because then I'd only maybe post three times a year because good investments are really rare. It's mostly to study the market and help people out and know what, and know what the rental rates are in the area. Okay. I I would, it would I mean if I would pull the trigger, I mean if there's a property offering. It's in a decent area. It's often like a 13% return. It's almost unheard of right now. But if that's doing that, I'll pull the trigger, certainly. But it's for both purposes. It's both to show people. To show, I mean, not everyone's going to agree with my investment analysis. Someone might think a 8% return in a certain part of the city is a good thing. I'm probably not going to buy into it. But it's for both, it's for both doing that. I'm gonna, I'll pull the trigger when uh, those properties start offering a better returns. I want to see one that's going to offer a higher return than what they're currently offering. Okay, so apart staying on properties, so I, I you know, I, I did some research on your other website, Real Man Realty, and that's where you talk about partnering up. So if somebody sees a property they want, but they don't have the necessary capital to make it happen, they can come to you, and you can, I guess they can pitch you like almost Shark Tank, and y'all can uh, potentially pool. And the other one is you say you buy properties. Also, where they can well, just no real man. Uh, it's real man Aria. It's uh, that's the website. Um, I, I changed. It. I think it was realty, but I, I wanted to take that off. It sounds like a company, so it's uh, real man REI. Just real man buys real estate. No, I wanted to. Uh, yeah, that's that's just my home buying side. The problem is, I developed that. You know, I developed that really before much of my investment philosophy was solidified. And you know, hindsight, I, I, I might not have created it again, but it's just basically because the first every single property that was presented to me on it was kind of garbage. It was just it was it was pretty much just garbage or overpriced or something, and it was just kind of a waste of time. The only thing, I, the only reason I keep it is because it costs. It doesn't really cost anything to keep it up, and I might in the future, I might in the future take members of my group, and if they want to have their email added to it added to the contact form so that everyone can see the properties that are being presented. So that's one of the reasons I kept it up. But I, and as in hindsight, there's nothing but shitty properties being presented to me. So I really don't, I really don't, I really wouldn't have needed it. So if I were to create it again, I probably wouldn't have, but okay, so I'll forget, I'll forget, I'll forget what to do with it in the future. I might just take, put a, if other, if some members want their emails attached to it, so, so they can see properties that are being presented. That might be fine. So, but I don't know what I'm gonna do with it. All right. So, Kenny, speaking of shitty properties, one of the things that I guess is coming up real soon is what they call a a tax auction. So, could you explain mm -hmm. to the to our viewers what a tax auction is? It's either you can either call it it's it's either called a property tax auction, property tax sale, or just delinquent delinquent tax sale. Uh, people owe people have to pay their real estate taxes. So all this is, is you pay people's real estate taxes for them, for the ones that haven't paid. And now they owe you money back at an interest rate. And if they don't pay back after three, after three years, 
it's three to five. It's technically three, but it's probably easy to seize the property at five. But if they don't pay you back in that time frame, you can try to seize that property. So basically, from from what I remember when you first told me about it, after the first year, so let's say I go pay somebody's property tax for the first year, and then they go in and pay. Once once they paid at the end of the year, I could end up getting what a guaranteed seventeen percent, and then the next couple are twelve. It's uh, the the uh, the rates of return are. Well, this, when, you, when, you, when you say 17%, there's a 5% penalty fee, but it's better to separate the penalty fee from the rate of return. It's 12%, it's 12% a year. That's 1% a month. But the first time you pay it, well, just to give, let's give, let's give someone some reference. People owe their property tax in December. They don't pay it in December. After December 31st, it's due, it's, after, it's due on January 1st. So after December 31st, once it hits January 1st, it's late. And people now they're late on their tax. Now, if they haven't paid by the spring and summer, that's when a tax auction start occurring. So you pay it when you so you pay their property tax for them in the spring or summer, and that's when a five percent penalty fee is added. So you get that you get if you pay it, I'm going to pay it. I'm going to be doing it on June 19th. So I pay the property tax on June 19th. But if they redeem it, if they pay back the tax a second later, I still get that five percent. So it kind of, it kind of, it's kind of beneficial. So you can get that extra five percent if you want. You definitely you get that extra five percent even if they pay it back immediately. And from there, it's just twelve percent a month. And you can, and that's and it's a, it's a fairly good interest rate because you're not going to find that currently anywhere in the market. But you basically you pay it you pay it and you, you pay it in June. You first pay it in June when it's when they hold the, when you hold the or for me in June. It, but it could be it could be I think St. Tammany does it in July. I think. Jefferson might do it in August still. I'm not really sure about that. But you pay it you, anyway. You pay it at those times, and you get that automatically five percent. But every but every time you but from then on, it's just twelve percent. And when in December, you're gonna have to pay it again if they haven't redeemed, and it's and you pay it, and that's twelve percent. So just think of the five percent penalty fee as a little bit separate, but it's still there. So you technically get seventeen percent the first time you pay. This sounds like it's too good to be true. Like, what's the downside in this? You, because you're basically saying you get a, it's a basically a five percent return on your money if they pay, and if they don't pay, then it's even more than that, and then you eventually get their property. What's the catch? Well, first of all, there'd have to be. Well, let's. Uh, I'll talk about. I'll talk about the disadvantages. Um, the disadvantages are it's not liquid. It's not a liquid uh, security. This because what you're investing in. You're investing in something. You're investing. You're paying someone's property tax for them, but you don't know when they're going to pay it back. So if you put too much cash into it, you're going in a, and you go to a bank and try to borrow money. They're not. They're going to assume that cash doesn't exist because you can't liquefy it because you don't know when they're going to redeem the property when they're going to pay back the tax. Right, but a lot so of places, can't. property taxes isn't that much money. Like it's two thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah, but if you do a lot, I mean, if you're doing, I mean. I typically I can do I can do twenty I can do twenty properties a year sometimes sometimes I do a little you know sometimes I do a lot last year I only got six but my computer went down real quick but no if uh, you can do um, if you do a lot then it could add up to a lot of money plus another dis- the disadvantage is you have to have enough you have to have enough cash to um, you have to have enough cash to do it because every December you got to keep paying the tax. Every you, you and if you don't have the cash to do it, then you're going to be screwed. So you need to make sure you have the cash. So you pay it in you pay it in uh, June, 
but then you got to pay it again in December. And if you don't redeem it the next year, you got to pay it again in that December and so on and so forth. So, so, you have, so, so you have to pay it in the perpetuity of whatever their, whatever their, I guess, mortgage is? Well, so let me, let me just kind of explain it how I see it. You are bank, you kind of, and I think I'm going to get into this with Kenny in a second. I think you're banking on finding somebody that appears to have a well-kept house that looks reliable that just might have oopsed and they'll come back and pay. So then you get the money pretty quick. What you what you kind of don't want to do is find a deadbeat that's never going to pay unless you want to seize the property because you're going to have to pay their property tax multiple times without getting any money back and then have to pay lawyers to go seize the property from them. Is that is that kind of it, Kenny? Yeah, you kind of uh, yeah, this, you kind of went you kind of went ahead, so that's that, that's cool. Um, yeah, so you have you you want to bid on properties that are being well kept. I, I bid on properties that are well being well kept and maintained. Grass is cut. There's a meter on the side, so they're being lived in or being at least at least being maintained because you know you're not going to get if you bid on properties that are damaged, you're going to be you might be getting letters from the parish say cut the grass, pick up the debris, do whatever, and you might be spending money on doing that. And it gets redeemed anyway, so it's kind of a so you just wasted your money and your return. You were probably you either you either lowered your return significantly, or you end up costing money because you had to you had to pay to cut the grass and all that stuff, and pay and pay to do the cleaning and stuff. So you want to do you want to do properties that are being well maintained and uh, lived in for the most part. I mean, there's very rare situations where maybe if the area is appreciating value, you want to get a, a damaged property or something, but in most cases, you want to avoid it. And so, and some people, I do see some people getting on vacant land because, it, but it's more for sentimental reasons. It's like, oh well, this this, this vacant land is next to their property, and they just want to get it, or or whatever like that. So you, there's people doing that, but that's mostly for sentimental reasons. As an investment, mostly you want to stick with properties that are being lived in and maintained. And you have to understand, most of them are going to redeem. So. There's going to be, I think right now, apparently 85% redeem in under 24 months, at least for me. I've been doing them since 2013. I've done maybe 60, over 60 properties. So about 85% of them redeem in under 24 months. So they, you get your money back fairly fast. And then there's a, you, you have that 3% chance, of, you have maybe a 3% chance of seizing a property. And that the pro, another disadvantage is the remaining percent, that 9% or whatever's left. I'm not doing math in my head right now. But if they haven't paid in a long time, you have to, you might have to, you got to tell them, Hey, you need to pay. I'm going to try to seize the property. If you can't find them, you might have to, you might have to hire a private detective or private processor server. They say that now or something. And you get the chance. The thing is if you have to do all that and maybe pay an attorney to scare them, you might hit them with a suit or something. You might eat away at your return. And that was so you got a small percentage of that happening, but as of now, the majority of them are deemed under eight, like over eighty percent of well over eighty percent of them get paid back really quickly. And the, the other, the remaining percent, either you can seize the property or it might cost you money because you got to like kind of scare them to get you to pay you back, and you might not be able to find them. So that's so that's that's another disadvantage. Maybe that that small is that small percentage that you can't get the property. But you had to find them and, for, and force them to pay you back, which might cost you some money. So if you see Kenny rolling around your neighborhood, better get scared. It's time to pay your property tax because the tax man coming. If they see me rolling around the neighborhood, is that what you said? Yeah, like because you, you're going to. Well, they don't know me. I mean, <laughs> they don't. 
I mean, I don't know. They don't know. I'm not. I'm not well known for. Well, they're it, about so to like find it. out. <laughs> well, I don't think I don't know. I don't know where are your audiences. Like most of your audience, I live in Saint Bernard Parish, and uh, I don't know. Most people, unless they seem to remember me at the courthouse, but not too many people probably remember me at the courthouse. All right, so that's about all I had on the property stuff, Al, because that, that's that's one of the biggest things that I, I just couldn't wrap my head around the first time Kenny told me this at, like, a Christmas party. He was telling me it sounded too good to be true, and yet well, I've audience, never participated have, with him. Well, your audience might have more questions about it, but it's, uh, I mean, just think of it from this perspective. I mean, someone's going to, I've seized one property so far um, out of the whole time I've done it. Now, and... You have to see. You have to understand that. Why would someone let let me seize their property? Because they haven't paid the tax. And the only situation that really occurs is when they're maybe if they're going through some problems or some finance problems or I don't know something serious. I mean, they have to go to witness protection for all I know. But uh, most people aren't. Gonna, you're not going to seize most of these properties. You're just going to get a good return back. Because most no one's going to no one wants to really give up their property unless it's a serious issue going on. They're not going to give up their property just because they owe maybe like 10 grand in taxes or something like that. So, you know, there's rare situations, but those situations do occur. You know, I seized one property. We found that, you know, I paid it for like four years and we finally found them. And I was like, well, you got to pay me back. And then I said, well, sign it over to me since you can't pay me back. And you just did it really quick. It was like really nice. And the property had the property had some damage. It was being lived in, but it still had some damage. And the tenant had to move out. And we had to fix the damage, and it cost it cost a good you know it cost, cost a good amount, but not nearly. But it's worth far more. So I didn't I earned like I, I basically just increased my net net worth really quickly just by having to repair something and pay taxes for four years, and it's really worth like one hundred twenty thousand dollars. So I didn't I didn't even put thirty into it. I think so. It, it was a pretty good deal. But you're not most properties you're not going to get. I mean you're, not, you're just going to People aren't. People aren't. They're not. You know, they're not dumb enough to let you take a property just because they owe tax on it. They're going to find a way to pay the tax back. And and since you're paying their taxes, you're ta- you're responsible for finding them and making them pay. Like the government is not involved at this at all. Like you can't just call the cops and be like, "Hey, this dude hasn't paid in however much long, and according to the law, you know, he can't live there." Like you have to. Use scare tactics to get this guy out of the house. Well, you have a right to get paid back. I mean, it's a lien. It is a lien, but okay. it's not a. I mean, I, like the parish got their money because they got because you paid the parish. So you you so paid they the parish what they owed, and now they owe you. But it's you can see it's enforceable by law if you take them to court. So it's not like it's not that's not going to work. But typically, you don't want to do that because it costs money. Well, if you ever need a lawyer, we we uh we have one on retainer. So <laughs> thank you. Um, I, uh, I was reading your website and you list that your investing strategies are modeled after long-term successful billionaires who have shown a clear knowledge on how to build empires. So Mm -hmm. you have a, a bunch of these guys listed. Um, could you give us a little, I guess, information on these people, uh, you have like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, uh, Ray Dalio, Sam Zell. You do you have any s- sort of uh, knowledge nuggets you've learned from these guys that you can pass on to our viewers to be uh, smarter with their money? Well, obviously, you want to you want to you want to have a met. I mean, everything is 
know, people are too, I don't know if the word would be egalitarian now or something. They're kind of, they don't, you want to focus on the best, obviously. And you want to study from the best. Anyone can get lucky once or twice. So, I mean, the mathematical probability of Warren Buffett getting lucky is, or Charlie Munger, because they've been doing this for years, is, is almost, it's like, it's, it's almost zero. So, it's not, you know, like you want, like someone can get lucky, they can, they can flip a coin and land on heads three times in a row. And they can win a lot of money, and you can be like, oh, wow, they're great investors. It's like, no, because – so the more long-term the investor, the more long-term success, the more math, the more you weed, you weed it out like the lucky fool, I guess you can say. But no, no, it's – no, it, like the best – I think the best section on the website is uh, the laws of investing, and that's all the – that's all the um, thing – the things I've extracted from these uh, – from these investors when I read books on them, um, from buying from buying dollars for fifty cents. Well, first of all, an investment operation is one that guarantees protection of principal and adequate return. And then you had buying a dollar for fifty cents. Most people see in, in a, like especially in real estate, but investing in general, there's this very harmful, a very damaging mind like mindset when you think price and value are the exact same thing. When you think when you think price and value are the exact same thing, just because uh, X number of people are paying for they're paying this much. They're paying two hundred thousand dollars for this house. That's what it's really worth, and that's not true. The value and the price are distinct, and you only want to buy when the price is underneath the value. So basically, you buy. It's really worth. It's really worth, let's say, a hunt, like a hundred grand, and you buy for fifty or something. That's buying a dollar for fifty cents. So I think I said that right. So yeah. So no, the big thing is buying a dollar for fifty cents. Doesn't matter if it's a doesn't matter if it's a piece of real estate, a business, a, a business, private equity, or stocks, which is just a piece of a business. It's exactly the same thing. You always just buy a dollar for fifty cents in anything you do, and you typically want to hold it for the long term. There's certain exceptions. I mean, some some things you can do for the short term, but most things, mostly it's just for the long term. Should have organized your notes there better, Al. You're yeah, I have, I'm all over the place here. So your strategy seems to be slow and steady by accumulating assets at value and holding on to them, like you just said. That sounds great for someone who doesn't have a lot of money. What would you recommend for someone who doesn't have a lot of capital to invest but still wants to uh, you know, make some money investing? Well, I think they've got some free brokerages. They have some – they're like Robin Hood and – have a few. Um, they have a few brokerages. I'm, I'm not sure. I know Robinhood's one of them, but you don't have to pay any commissions when you buy a stock. So that's good because the problem is if you don't have a lot of cash. I mean, let's say. I mean, if you don't have, if you're paying five dollars a commission and you only have fifty dollars in savings, you're already ten percent in the hole right when you buy the stock. So you want to, you know, Robinhood's a good thing. A good, and most people should just be saving. They should be saving ten percent of what they earn. Try to put it in the savings. Um, if they want to buy stocks, they go in like a, a brokerage that doesn't have any. Um, it doesn't have any commissions costs. I mean, that's a good thing. I thought uh, I'd have to think off the top of my head of other things they can do. I mean, hell, you can go on uh, Craigslist and look for free shit if you want, because they got free shit all the time. But if it's it's not free, if it's if you got to drive out and go get it and spend the gas money, if it's not worth it. But some stuff, sometimes they put some good stuff out there. Now, um, I'm, I'm, what's that? Yeah. Now you mentioned you know putting ten percent away, and that may be in a four hundred one k or whatnot. What do you what do you recommend say? Someone puts ten percent of their uh, earnings into a four hundred one k. What's their best strategy there? Is it is it going to be like a target date mutual fund with their retirement, or what? What would you advise someone well, to best, do there? The best thing someone can do is buy like a uh, a 
a in like an ET like a mutual fund, like an S and P five hundred mutual fund or an S S and P five hundred ETF. It's just an ETF is just traded as a stock. I mean, it, it's just it's don't, don't don't get overcomplicated. But it just buys it just buys shares of the biggest companies in the market, and you just hold it, you just buy it, and you hold it for long term. That beats eighty percent. That beats eighty percent of any sort of money manager or wealth manager or whatever. It beats eighty percent of them. So just by simply holding holding the market, the S and P five hundred, and holding it for the long term. Now you want to obviously if the, when the market's overpriced, you might not want to do it because your return is going to vary depending on how you time the market. So if you if if you bought let's say if you bought in 2009 or something or 2008, if you bought the S&P 500, your average return by now might have been like 15%, which is fairly good. If you would have bought in 2007 though, when the market was at, at its most expensive point, then the average return till 2019 might only be like 6% because you bought when everything was expensive. So and that's and the, so basically you bought at the high like bought at the market high point and then it fell and you had to wait for that recovery for a long time. So you got timing does does matter when you buy like an index fund, but most people should just be buying index funds and holding, and you have to just hold for the long term. Can you define ETF? You uh, dropped that a couple times, and our viewers aren't that smart. It's just uh, it's it's a it's just an exchange traded fund. I mean, it, it's ETF stands for exchange exchange traded fund. It just it's a it's a fund that trades like a stock pretty much. So you, its price goes up and down every day. So that's all it is. But people can go on a brokerage account and buy it immediately. But both both an S and P five hundred mutual fund and S and P five hundred exchange traded fund, they just—I mean, I guess simply they just buy—they just they're just a basket of stocks. It's a basket of companies and S and P five hundred. Y'all don't have a brokerage account, but if y'all went on it, y'all go to like something like you go to this ETF. And underneath it, you'd see like it owns like one percent of it is in Berkshire Hathaway, three percent of it's in Apple. You can just see where the share, where the value comes from. They own those shares, so it just it all, all it is is a fund that trades like a stock. So you can just buy it like a normal stock. It's good to know. It's a diversified portfolio that's traded like a stock, but they're in you know various things, various things like. Foreign markets, yeah, current markets, cash, re- natural resources, technologies, all that, but they kind of, I guess, spread out certain percentages, right? Well, S and P, the S and P is the top five hundred publicly traded companies in the U.S. Uh, that's what that's what they're buying. That's what these funds, the S and P five hundred fund, is buying into. So it's virtually it's like eighty percent of the market value of the stock market. So you're pretty much just buying into America when you buy it, but it's the safest, it's pretty much the best thing someone can buy. Just buy it, hold it for the long term and forget. And they don't, and by buying it and holding it for the long term, they don't, they typically can earn a higher return than most money managers, as I said. And there's like two reasons for this. One is they're not, they're not buying and selling, buying and selling, buying and selling. It's buying and holding one. So the commission costs are really low. And there's like a religious conviction where they know the strategy is going to work in the long term, so that they don't become panicked and sell because that's what really gets you as a investor. When you when you become emotional, and you whether you get when you get afraid or you're optimistic, I mean you might do something stupid. But if you just buy and hold in a in an S and P of 100 index fund, you typically kind of insulate yourself from the emotions that can really harm you. So that just that's just going to be most people, and that's that's but that's obviously like I said a long term strategy for you know turning out maybe 10% a year or something, or if you buy it, the, if you buy it the right time, it can be as high as 15% a year. So basically if you're doing this, you're investing in America. Is America too big to fail? 
uh, I, nothing's too big to fail, but if America falls and it, and it fails, then chances are the, barbar- the barbarians have sacked Rome and money doesn't matter anyway. So what does it matter? No, that's a good point. So if America basically goes away, our currency's devalued. So you'd have lost your money anyway. Might as well bet on Big Brother. And if you're fucked, everybody else is fucked. It's like the asteroid strategy. You know, a big asteroid str- coming, everybody's fucked. So why worry about it? Well, I guess if the Dark Age comes, you can maybe buy gold, and but you're still going to get raided by bandits. You know, there's going to be no, there's, gonna, there's no law and order in the Dark Age. So, I mean, I really. That's those, a good quote, scenarios, Harley. Those, those scenarios really don't. I mean, maybe you can have enough gold to buy a stronghold and survive or something, but I don't think, you know, I'm not really, you don't have to worry about those occurrences. If they, if they occur, then everything's going to be, money's probably not going to be too much valuable anyway. What what about the Drew Brees investment strategy of investing in diamonds? Was did you read anything about him having to take his jeweler to court because his jeweler said the diamond would appreciate in value and make more money long term and basically sold sold him an overpriced diamond? I, I I'm not familiar with that case. I have no idea about investing in diamonds. I just uh, I mean, it just seems if he made a shitty investment, that's on him. True, but if you know you go and I get it appraised, and they lied to you, well, then they oh, owe you cool. one. I'm I'm not familiar with the case, so I'm not sure about. I can't I can't comment intelligently on it because I don't know all the details. But but, uh, but you've never tried you, to invest in diamonds or anything like that. Well, I'm trying to invest in precious metals, but it's not. But uh, never diamonds. I mean, I, I would never. I never tried to invest in diamonds. I and mean, then if you got conned and. Some guy was saying the diamond was worth this X amount, and it's really not. Or he's like way off in his appraisal. And obviously, that's something that kind of needs to be checked. But I don't, you know, I, I've never done, I've never invested in diamonds. I mean, precious metals aren't really good investments either. So when I, if I ever, like, whenever I did invest in them, I only put like a very, very small percentage percentage of capital. I mean, if you invested, according to the Berkshire Hathaway meeting, if you invested ten thousand into the S and P five hundred uh, in nineteen forty two. They didn't have index funds back then, but it's just a hypothetical. If you would invest at ten thousand back then, then by now it'd be like over fifty million. And if you would do the same thing in gold or any price, gold, especially, it'd only be by now uh, maybe like a little bit over four hundred thousand. So fifty-one million versus four hundred thousand. So those, you know, those assets really aren't that great because they don't really produce anything. I mean, you can you can hold a piece of gold, you can snuggle with it all you want. It's not it's not a company that's like adding value to like the world around it. So it's not, they're not, they tend to be inferior investments. I would assume diamonds are kind of the same thing. Unless of course, only buy property and there's a diamond mine on it. But other than that, I wouldn't really invest in diamonds. That's that's good to know, Kenny. What's your favorite precious metal? Well, I, I was looking at platinum recently because um, I was looking at platinum. Why was I looking at platinum? I think I'm I'm trying to remember my own investment thesis. Now at platinum, 60% 60% of it's still used in jewelry. The rest is in, like, catalytic converters for cars and stuff. But it was like it, platinum hasn't risen in a long time. It's kind of been down for a really long time, even since before Katrina, And which is, you no, know, I don't know how long that is, but it's been, it's been down for a really, for a very long period. So, and plus, like most, the vast majority, I think 85% of it or 90% of it comes from South Africa. And South Africa is kind of experiencing tourism. I don't know how how reliable the news is, but South Africa kind of has a dubious future. And the remainder of the platinum comes from Russia too, which is kind of the same case. So I, 
I've, I've put a little in the platinum. I didn't put a lot into it because I figured since it hasn't risen in a long time and since South Africa might experience social unrest and stuff, then where 85% of it comes from, then the price might rise if it gets cut off. But the, 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 the opposite thesis would be, well, a lot of it, electric cars, the rise of electric cars is reducing the need for platinum because they don't use platinum electric cars. I don't, I don't think they use as much. So there's some, so that's, that's the opposite side. But I thought, I kind of, I thought, well, it already fell a lot. It's already been down a lot. So that's already discounted. It's already bought. So I bought a little bit in platinum. So if, if rappers start wearing platinum again in their videos, you're going to see a big payday. I don't know about that. I just know South Africa goes to hell or something, then that's going to be like a cutoff in the supply. But that's I, even even then, I put you know it hasn't, hasn't arisen in a while, so I figured, oh well, I'll put a little bit into it. I didn't put a lot into it. Not I'd rather buy a good company because a good company is far more far more rare and precious. Yeah, Bobby Axelrod would uh, invest a lot in platinum and then just go make social unrest over there and then bank all the money from platinum going up. That's what Bobby Axelrod in billions would do. Well, you hear, you hear skeptical stories about South Africa, about them wanting to, you know, give, uh, like, basically give uh, give blacks farms and take them from whites, and I don't know how true it is. I mean, I, I was watching news in South Africa like a year ago and stuff when it was happening, but... It was something like legislature legislature in South Africa wants to take take uh, farm owners take their land and give it to and give it to blacks or something. I don't know. It was something because of because of racism, like past racial grievances or something like that. I don't know how true it is. I just know, it, you know, even the thought of such a thing doesn't really attract too much investment. But I try to. But, but if it hurts platinum prices, I mean, if you buy platinum, it could benefit you. But who knows if that's ever going to happen in the future? Or if it, it might just be. It might just be uh, kind of the right wing, kind of scared of. It might be kind of over exaggerating the news over there. But I bought platinum anyway, so if it does happen, I'll benefit from it. Um, Kenny, how many people invest with you? Are you just kind of a lone wolf and doing this all for yourself personally? I have a well, I've got a over four hundred people in the investment club, but they don't invest with me. I have a when I know I suppose because I network so much down here in New Orleans because I run a charity. With a, because I run a charity with all these investors, I know if I see a property and I can't afford it myself, there's going to be at least like three people I want to go with, and there four people. So, are do you have any of these um, investments currently? Well, no. When, right now, I invest myself. I invest myself because I buy stocks. I don't need anyone to buy stocks. Stocks aren't that expensive. But I'm not going to. I own rental property too, but I own 100% of it. But if let's say I see like. A six hundred thousand dollar apartment complex. I'm not gonna be able to afford that. At least, in, you know, I'm not gonna be able to afford that. At least in cash. So <laughs> we're gonna need some. I know that's one of the reasons for the investment. I network with investors down here, and I have the investment club. It's because in the case, in that case, and plus, I kind of they know I'm a long term investor, just trying to buy a good rental property. So they kind of agree with me on the same strategy. But I would have investors who want to go in for me. I think at the moment I don't have partners that I don't need partners because I. Unless I want to buy a really expensive piece of real estate, then I got the cash to buy anything else. Okay. Um, I also looked at the companies section of your website. It says that you look for companies that have value, and you tend to look for companies that, quote-unquote, sell mundane and or boring products that everyone needs. Uh-huh. Do you own any of these companies? Like, 
or is this going to be like a toilet paper company? Like everyone's always going to need some TP. Yeah, Johnson. I mean, I know, like I don't know Johnson. John, like I'm thinking, but the first thing that came to mind is like I don't know, band aids, toilet paper, uh, shampoo, stuff like that. Uh, what I own? What do I own? I own us. I'm Campbell's suit right now. When it fell a little bit. Oh, we're progressive I, guys here. Progresso. Oh shit. Well, I don't know. Campbell's suit had a. He fell. It fell in value, and had, I was going to buy. Craft uh, Heinz or Kraft so Heinz has been suffering like really badly lately. So right now, I don't have to look at my stock portfolio. I don't think I have any of those companies because they, I've got them on a I got them all on a watch list. I'm waiting for them to fall. Johnson Johnson fell recently when they had that baby. I don't know that baby powder scan. Like it was not a scan. I'll just say a scandal. But they had the fear baby powder might have been causing cancer, and they fell a lot. But they didn't. They were almost to the threshold. I was going to buy them, but then they went right back up. Okay. No, right now I own yeah. Apple. I have to look at my stock before. I own Apple. I own Campbell's Soup. Those are like the big, like kind of the best companies I own at the moment. Well, Kenny, so I was like by Google too, but Google, Google. I'm waiting for Google to fall a little bit more. So, Kenny, like, so when you see it, like a story like this, so like the Bluebell story with the Listeria and all that stuff, and Bluebell's getting rocked, and their pr- stock price is probably going down. You're basically looking to where it kind of almost bottoms out to where you think that company's able to rebound, and then you start investing and then ride the wave up. Well, you gotta you gotta value it. I mean, sometimes, like with Chipotle, when they had that fungus thing or something. Which time? Even, yeah, even even though the stock fell a lot, it still looked overpriced. So just because it falls a lot doesn't. I mean, like I say, like a, something can be really worth two hundred thousand dollars, but it's on the market for four hundred thousand. If you drop you could drop to three hundred thousand to two fifty, but it's still only worth two hundred thousand, so I still won't buy it. So just because it drops a lot is not enough. I have to kind of like value it and say, well, is it still a dollar to fifty cents? And if it's if it's if it's a dollar to fifty cents, that one that's when I buy. Now of course you have a you have a higher mathematical odds of buying the stock low when uh when there's some sort of catastrophe or something and everyone panics. And you know, you can, typically you can buy stock when it's low and that a good stock, and when it's low and that it's profit pretty well. Because a lot of times the bad news is kind of already factored into the price, so there's a higher mathematical probability that it's going to go up. But still, you try to buy. You still always try to buy underneath value. So even even though something falls, it's not necessarily mean it's a good deal. Like Jonathan Johnson fell a little bit, and it still wasn't enough for me. So I might have to. The thing is, I got into stocks in 2015 and 2016, and by that time, the market's already well recovered, and mostly everything's overpriced. So I got yeah. So right now, I'm playing the waiting game for most of these great mundane companies I'm talking about. Now, you said you look for these mundane or boring companies. Now, if you ever want a fun and smart company that provides laughs and entertainment in spades, and that is severely undervalued, I have the perfect business opportunity for you: the Talking Small Podcast. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> Well, I guess if you go public, I can always buy that. Well, so let's let's talk about that real quick. We're private right now, but you can get some stock while it's undervalued, Kenny. So, Kenny, what is the advantage of going public? Like, so if you have a private company, is it just to get your owners paid? Like, what? Like, it seems like answering to investors just seems like a bad idea. Um, well, before I get into that, I want to say, like, for, to further elaborate on, like, the stock I own, usually you don't like, usually you don't like to say, I don't care if you have this in the podcast or not, usually you don't like, have, like to say what you own because it kind of creates, like, a, uh, it kind of creates a, um, 
activist a investor? Effect, a, a stubborn effect, so to say. Um, so everything, every time I say something, like or I say a stock I buy, I'll say, I'll say something like, "Well, I hold no loyalty to any investment idea once it's proven wrong, I'm just, or any idea for that matter. I'm just going to sell it and it was dead wrong." So you got to make that disclaimer because if you say, "Oh, this stock's a good stock," and it goes down, your ego might be involved and you might not realize you made a mistake. Um, you know, as far as uh, going public, why why companies go public? It's just for money. I mean, basically, the, the price. Public IPOs are designed like IPOs when a company goes public for the first time. They're designed for the uh, the current owners to cash out pretty much. So that's all. That's the main incentive. They get they allowed the cash. The price is risen and they're allowed to cash out and shares are given to the public. And I don't know. They, it's it's they get basically it's just for money reasons. That's that's all I consider. So I mean, that's all I. So just for layman's terms, it's like I have control of the company. If I go public, I'll still keep enough stock to control the company, but I'll get a big payday from all the public money that's starting to buy the rest of the stock that I'm actually selling. Yeah, I mean, if I owned the company, chances are I wouldn't want to take it public because I'm not into mob rule. So, I mean, it's just not not my thing. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes shareholders don't really – you know, it's just as – you know, having one dictator – you know, it could be bad, but also having like a bunch of shareholders can also be bad because because the way they vote. So, you know, situate. But yeah, people would go people would go public because it's you know just for money reasons, pretty much. So, Kenny, we've been going probably about an hour. Uh, how much more time do you have? It's whatever. I can talk a little bit. Okay. All right. So, is is that a uh, you know a soft no on advertising on the podcast, Kenny? You don't want any any part of this. Uh operation we got running here to be honest i would say i'm gonna have to be as ruthless as possible and say if i would invest in your podcast i probably wouldn't be a good investor <laughs> i gotta say i don't know it just seems like it's too speculative so you know, I, you know podcast of the future I, kenny <laughs> well the future well you know this is when you're an investor you try to protect it you don't most most people make mistakes when they try to profit off the future you try to the best way to invest is not to profit off the future, but to guard yourself on the future. So when someone, 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 someone tells you, oh, this is going to be a great company, it's, you look at its history. So it has to have a good history. We have over 100 be, episodes. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you have to have like a good financial history. You know what I mean? But it's like, you have to have a Low have overhead, a, Kenny. We're, li- we literally uh, podcast you have for to have free. A really, a really consistent history to be like to buy in the stock. Because that could, like you know, it's called the anti-entrepreneurial philosophy. I mean, any sort of new business is going to have like a ninety. It's going to have like a ninety-five percent chance of failure, and even even the top and even the remaining four percent. You want the top one percent, but the, the very the vast majority are going to be failures. And oh man, it's going to be so sweet proving Kenny wrong. Let this hater be my motivator over here. Yeah, we got ten well, ten thousand views. It's not being. It's not about being wrong. It's about like, it's like like you're supposed to. The, the the reason why these billionaires are successful is because they're not compromising. They're not like they're not they're not buying. You see, like even even on Shark Tank, it's kind of an inferior investment strategy. You can't have the, the better investors on there because they would never buy. You can't. Um, the thing is, you have a you can't accept low a low risk for a low return and a high risk for a high return. You only accept a low risk for a high return in anything you do, and that's. You don't, you know, and you typically don't compromise. Most investors are like, well, I'll buy my friend's starting up his company in the garage, but it's, 
but it's got a you know it's a high risk, but it's a high return. No, no, you you don't you don't compromise. Low risk or high return, and that's the only thing you do. So you do that by buying good companies that like really attractive prices that have a good history of earnings. Very simple. You know, it's it's where you minimize. There there is no risk. There's a bigger risk in not investing and not investing in that case. This sounds so exactly people, like the opportunity you need, Kenny. Very low risk. What are we hardly at? You know, $115 <laughs> on SoundCloud feeds a year. That is the lowest risk you can possibly <laughs> take in your life. It's all right. We, when we have our big IPO, it's going to be a good day. We'll have to. I'll tell you what, no, when I'm talking, like, if we did past investments, like, no, I'm trying to talk with maybe another uh, 30 minutes or something, whatever you want. It's, that should be pretty good. Okay, Tim for um Okay, let's get the meat and potatoes, Harley. Kenny, who took those pictures on your website? What website? I mean you mean on the Kenneth Marshall website? Yeah. You have a couple pictures on there. Who took those? You mean of me? The the pictures of me, not the pictures of like the market pictures. You mean the pictures of like me and the uh Yes. I don't know, looking like a mobster. Yes. Um uh, I think there was yeah, it was a guy named uh what was his name? Rand Damn it, Sonny Randon. I don't know. I don't know his name. Some some photographer, but I, those pictures weren't designed for my website. I just had them before, but I, they were the best for the website, so I just put them on there. I thought you didn't like mob rule, and you just said you looked like a mobster. I don't like public mob rule. I don't know about mob rule. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, so private mob rule, you're okay with? Now, did you have a stylist yeah, yeah. for that? What's that? Did you have a stylist that put together that outfit? No, I just bought it. I mean, I kind of like, I wanted a suit, so I bought a suit, and I kind of, I don't know, it's kind of, it just my, I don't know, I went to men's warehouse one day and bought it. Hey, uh, K- Kenny, one of the things that I do like is when I do, because we're, you know, we're friends on Facebook and stuff, so we get to see all the all the great stuff, so I, I absolutely get a uh, hundred million kicks out of you wearing the fedora with the black gloves and the suit pictures. Because you are out, you're doing, you're taking those pictures, you're looking serious, and I just know I couldn't do it, so I just applaud you for doing that, because I think it's, I think they're great. I, it makes me smile every time I see them. Well, I don't know, I don't smile too much in photos, so. <laughs> I know, you look it's so, more na- it's more natural for me, I suppose. Are you, were you a big fan of the Hitman video game franchise? Uh, absolutely, well, Hitman Blood Money. Have you ever? Uh, you can plead the fifth here. Have you ever strangled anyone with piano wire? I did. I did even worse stuff than that. I mean, Hitman Blood Money was uh, that was the pinnacle of the Hitman game. Like the, like the ones that came out after, they weren't as good. So, but that that was yeah. I've done a lot of things in Hitman. I've I've, I've been a stealth assassin. I've been a mass murderer and everything in between. Uh, one of our viewers wanted to know: Do you still have the same car in those pictures? Mm, no, I know, no, I gave that car away. I sold it. All right, Harley, I can do some. Um, oh, I have a good hypothetical here, Kenny. I read your website pretty extensively. You have a lot of history references, and on this podcast, you've already mentioned sacking Rome and whatnot. So, if you could. Live the life of one historical figure. Who would it be, and why? I have to really think about that. I'm not really sure. Um, that's. Uh, I mean, chances are most most uh, warlords and conquerors have like meet violent ends. And I don't know. I don't like the all or nothing, the radical lifestyle. I mean, I don't know. Getting killed in a Senate house, like Caesar, doesn't really appeal to me too much. 
Uh, so, uh, probably be one of the rule. Probably be one of the rulers who like ruled but still lived for a long time. And, so like, like Bill I, Clinton or Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah, maybe Augustus, Queen Elizabeth. I don't know. Someone, someone that ruled for a long time and didn't have to. Uh, I don't know. Didn't have. Didn't meet a violent end. Didn't go out in a blaze of glory. I don't. I don't want to do the blaze of glory thing. I'm, I'm not. That, I'm not that novel. You seem like a big Genghis Khan type to me. I guess. I mean, Genghis Khan is, uh, I don't know, he's a little, I guess a little brutish, I mean, but sure. <laughs> Too brutish for you? Well, I don't know, Mongol civilization, well, like the, the Asianic, I don't know, nomadic civilizations, typically when they die, like when the ruler, great ruler died, he divided them. You know, like in the West, where if you died, everything went to the firstborn, and those cult, and the in those Asianic cultures, like you die, it all gets divided up amongst equally amongst like the the male heirs and stuff. So it kind of creates like a conflict of I don't know. It creates like a there's a problem with uh, leadership in that case once the leader dies. All right, Kenny, I have some quick hitters for you here. Or Harley, do you want to get into some viewer questions? Let, let's do a couple guess, of viewer. Well, to get, let me just say that like when the, about the history stuff. But history stuff is cool because, um, and like the, the conqueror stuff and the enactments, if I could be another ruler. The thing is, I originally was a history, like I studied history before I ever studied investing. Investing kind of, I felt like it was a little bit of a downgrade because when you're studying history, when you're studying things like uh, conquerors and, and great, great warlords of the past, you realize just how, how uh, broke everyone is. Like you have to realize that when you're a... Uh, well, I had this. I had this person. I debated this person once, and he said, uh, "I was telling him how Donald Trump has is richer than I think it was Mark Cuban. I think it was Mark Cuban." And the guy's like, "No, Mark Cuban's richer than Donald Trump." I'm like, "No, Donald Trump is richer than Mark Cuban." And he looks. He pulls up his phone, and he shows me Mark Cuban net worth. I don't know what it was. It was like eight billion, ten billion, or something. And he shows me Donald Trump's net worth, which is like three billion. And I go, okay, well, does uh, Mark Cuban have the power to drop a bomb on someone's house? <laughs> and he goes, and obviously that's, that's something because people think uh, that's wealth when you have a company, but no, when you have a military behind you, when you have a, I mean, even the president, the president isn't, doesn't have that much power as compared to uh, earlier history when, when uh, warlords had supreme power. But when you have an army behind you, when you have three million troops, when you, have, when you can bomb cities, when you can take over countries and $80 billion isn't even worth your time. So that's true wealth in that sense. So that's why I like to study conquerors because, you know, business seems like a downgrade because it doesn't matter how successful the business is. The best, the businesses for business, it's like you're at best, you have employees and you have customers. But if you stop earning money or you stop providing value, then they're just going to leave. And it's so at best they're paid mercenaries. And it doesn't. It always it always seemed as kind of like a weaker form of power to have a big, like have a even if you have a hundred billion dollar company, but if you have five million troops or something, that's you know that's true power. That's why I like to study history. So I appreciate you asking me that question. It's very interesting. You're a big warlord guy. Well, that's what I used to like. To, I used to like to study, and that's and that's why it always seems like. You know, I don't get impressed by billionaires because I, I mean I do study their investment strategy. But I don't get impressed by them because it's like, well, uh, it's, you got all this money, but the second, I mean, what are you gonna do? You're gonna get rich and hire a pretty girl secretary, and once the pretty girl secretary leaves, I mean, once you stop, once the business starts 
kind of once it starts falling behind or once the product isn't needed anymore, then they're all going to go away. Whereas if you have a, if you have a country or a military that's based on like a sustainable philosophy, then yeah, I mean, you can, I don't know, a conqueror is always richer than someone who just owns a company. Very true. I'm going to get into some viewer questions real quick, Kenny. Um, I have one from Shane C. No last names. He says, he asked, what is the worst deal you've done so far and what were your lessons learned from it? The worst deal? Oh, um, let's see. I know I, I bought, I bought McDonald's stock when it had an earning, when it, when they beat earnings thinking the stock will rise and it didn't. I, uh, I'm getting butchered right now in Bayer because Bayer had that lawsuit, the Monsanto lawsuit, and I bought Bayer. Like the the stock price fell, the stock price fell, um, it fell significantly. But it, but basically there was like a, a twenty, a two, like excuse me, a two hundred eighty billion, no, excuse me, a two hundred eighty million dollars settlement or something, and the stock price dropped like fifteen billion or sixteen billion. Damn. So it it seemed like an over an over drop, and I bought it, and it keeps on going down, and that's butchering me. And then I. I looked at Bayer, and I realized some of the like I realized they're adding shares too much, and they're doing something. So I should have, I shouldn't have just bought on bad news, trying to take profit, trying to take profit from that spread. I should have like studied the company more, studied how management, why management was adding shares, uh, why hasn't the stock done anything in a long time. So I should have studied. I did. I should have did more quantum, like a qualitative type of analysis of the company. So that's one of the. So I shouldn't have just tried to profit off that massive uh the massive drop or something so that's i think it doesn't mean i'm still in the stock but you know if it doesn't do anything in three months i'm gonna sell it so mm. that was stu- that was stupid to me um i mean i kind of got i kind of got several i mean I, I bought a new car when i was 20 years old that was a stupid investment <laughs> i mean i kind of i mean i could have just bought the used car a used car with 100 miles on it for maybe seven thousand dollars less so i mean it was a way that was that's like throwing away seven thousand dollars that's some you know that's some bad investments i did I tried to get into business. Um, I tried to start my own business rather than already investing in someone's business who's, who's had a long history of earnings. So I was trying to start my own business. And not only did I try to start my own business, I think it was a dating website. It was at a time, like in June in 2013-ish, 2012-ish, it was still at a time with too many dating sites. So I'm trying to compete with too many people. So starting a business was obviously a stupid decision because, I mean, the mathematical odds after very low unless you have some really good reason to do it unless you're really special but thinking i'm gonna pull myself out of my own bootstraps and it's you know it was, it was just a waste of time what was the name of this dating site well i didn't really have a name of it yet um i mean i was kind of i was kind of like debating the name i was kind of because i was debating the theme i didn't know if i wanted to do military older men younger women um i even toyed with the idea of abuse survivors since i kind of like this i kind of like to study psychology a lot and like people you know who kind of survived abusive relationships and we kind of live in an abusive time period public shaming all that stuff that's so interesting i kind of thought of that but then i realized i don't know having you know it, you know with the, the, the too many military sites the older men younger women i don't know there's not it, that, was, that was too many sites too, and then you had uh, abuse, you know, happy survivors, whatever I want to call it. And it's like, well, you still don't want to, you don't want, you don't want to bring up abuse, you know, in a dating. You could have, we just had negative connotations. So, I mean, but I, I wanted to start a dating website. I never really got around to it. 
but I still wasted some money buying some domain names, and you know that was totally and a waste of time even trying to ponder the idea. So I shouldn't I shouldn't even like I should have just thought, okay, well if it's a publicly traded dating site, if it's a good business, I'll just buy it. But you know instead of just trying to start my own, so it's a lot safer just buying other businesses as long as they're safe, as long as they're successful for a long period of time, and they're and you believe in their if you, if you believe in their product and service, it's much safer to do that than to start your own business. Hmm. So you never actually got the dating service up? Because if I remember right, it was called like True Singles or Real Singles? or No, like I, I was fooling with a bunch of names. Like okay. Good Singles, I was fooling Happy Survivors, I was fooling, I was even fooling with RealMen.com. I was fooling with, I was fooling with several, you know, several different versions. And I, you know, some of these domain names, I was pretty, like, I mean, it was like even if now I know not to spend a lot of money on a domain name because it's just it's just stupid. I mean, you might as well just you might as well just add a little bit of extra to it and it's all free. So, I don't know I mean, about that. Or drop an L. Realmen.com. That sounds like a pretty like it could be a gay porn site. Like you could probably redirect that to Grinder. I don't know where. Yeah, you're I, going I, to. I, I don't know. I, can, I don't know. There's some ethical issues by getting into the porn business. So I'll, uh, Bad investment we'll is poor. Don't invest in hogs. Hogs? Well, He's I'm talking not... about dicks. He said don't invest in dicks. That's that's an inside joke. Uh, All right. I have another viewer question here. This is uh, uh, from Shredder from Scottville. He goes, would you advise someone to go to college if it would put them in debt? And then what is a healthy debt to income ratio? I have no idea the second question. College is overrated unless you want to go to, unless you're doing like, I don't know what, I don't know, engineering or something or doing sciences or doing doing something that's, I don't know, if you're doing liberal arts, it's kind of a waste of time. It's, I mean, if you if you want to join the military and be an officer, obviously get a degree, it's a useless degree, but most of, the problem with college now is college has become very, it's become very customer, it's now considered like it's like a customer service kind of thing where they can, they don't consider the students having to learn anything. They're treated as customers. So even when I went to college, it was like, there was almost no wrong answers because they didn't want to upset the students. So it's not, it's, it's difficult. You know, it, it's, it's, it, if you're going to go to college, treat it as a, just don't even take it seriously. Just do take the work seriously. Just don't take. You're not going to learn. You're going to have to learn yourself. You have to read yourself, self-improve yourself. Because college is just it's become so customer oriented, and getting the debt over it. Eh, I mean, it really depends what you like. If you can't, if you're not, if, if there's jobs uncertain, if there's job uncertainty when you get out, I wouldn't do it. But it always depends on the individual circumstances. I really can't answer the question unless I know. I mean, if I, if you get if you get an engineering degree and or getting a biology degree and you got some forensic job line. I mean, yeah, that's obviously a good thing. You should get paid a lot. But if you I, go on, if you get, you know, getting a teaching degree, it's kind of a waste of time. I think it kind of aligns with what you said earlier, like about value. The value's not there. If you have to pay $50,000 a year to go out and get a shitty job or no job, there's no value in that. It's not providing any value. It's way overvalued. So kind of with you on that one next question from chris with the k are dogs Kobe. a good investment are what dogs a good investment canines i don't know i wouldn't know that question i and i'm like obviously as pets no but i mean if you're gonna 
try to sell them. I have no idea. I have no experience with selling dogs. I, I, I would be, you know, that's not even, I wouldn't even consider that an investment. That's a, that's a, see, most people don't get mixed up with what an investment is. It's not, an investment is buying, it's trying, you should be trying to buy, it's guaranteeing safe protection of principal and an adequate return, buying a dollar for 50 cents. You can't lose doing that. That's a business operation. If you're selling dogs, I don't know, it's, that's, that's starting your own uh, lawn care service, starting, selling dogs, starting your own construction company, starting your own tech company. That's a business. It's not an investment. So it's different. It's a different, completely different operation. I, I think Chris was talking about investing in your emotional well-being. Wait, but I, I don't know. Dogs, I, like, like DOG, like dogs. Like, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm confused. Okay. Next question. Uh, you know what the best avenue to start a small business is? Small business loan, uh, traditional bank, SoFi, your savings account. Like, if you were to start a small business, how, Say how a would dating you go about website. that? Mm, I wouldn't know. I, I, I wouldn't. First of all, I wouldn't start a small business. That's. I'm not. I am an anti entrepreneur, so I'm the wrong person to be asking that. Because 99.99% of ideas that are presented to me, I'm just going to eliminate immediately. I mean, like, I watch Shark Tank, and um, someone starts speaking within 30 seconds. I know if I'm going to invest in the business or not. So it's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not kind of an anti-entrepreneur. I mean, the way to get capital is obviously, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not really sure how to get capital in that sense. I mean, usually you want to get investment partners, but, you know, venture firms or something like that. But I really wouldn't know. All right, so, Kenny, we're going to just – I know it's about, about all the time we have with you, so we're going to do a little rapid-fire segment we're calling Buy – or sell where we're just going to bring up topics and you tell us if this it's hot right now in the streets or something that you don't want any part of you can keep it wait, wait, you can wait, keep wait, your wait, answers wait, wait. quick wait 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 um we're not going to get into dating tips so do, that's that might be a good thing i guess do you want to get into dating tips i know you've done some online dating i know you've imported some canadians down down to the NOLA. I know you've dabbled in a, some Bourbon well, we Street. We're into dating tips. I don't know how much time you got. I got time to talk. You don't have to beat my deadline, but if, you, if you're running out of Oh, power, no, no, no. Okay, well, we'll do this buy or sell, and then I, I would love to get in some dating tips. Okay, we're okay. going to do some buy or sell here. This is, could just be quick hitters, one or two sentences maybe. Okay, first one, cryptocurrency, buy or sell? Uh, it's rat poison throw away in the trash. You're saying it's rat poison just because Warren Buffett called it rat poison? Uh, Charlie Munger called it rat poison. Warren, uh, what does what does Charlie Munger know about Bitcoin? He's 95 years old. I think the, so. Charlie Munger called it rat poison. I don't know what Bill. I don't know what Warren Buffett called it. Bill Gates. He uh, he got he purchased and then someone gave him some Bitcoin for his uh, birthday or something. He gave it away. Um, no, the thing well, he's is, a billionaire. He, someone could give him literally anything, and he could give it away. Well, it doesn't mean, you know. Obviously, you know, it, like for okay. So if you want to, if you want to go to a billionaire who actually the most optimistic billionaire I know on on a cryptocurrency was Mark Cuban, who said, uh, if you are going to invest in it, only invest maybe ten percent, because. You don't want to invest a lot into it. Like I think, I, I think it's, I think it's, I don't see any value in it. I don't see if everyone wanted to sell it, what value would it have? It's not like a, a traditional asset. It's not a physical. It just it exists in the ether. But the most optimistic billionaire I saw was maybe Mark Cuban. Is like, okay, if you're going to put in that, just put in 10% maybe. I don't know, something like that. So just so you don't put all, you don't want to put too much money into it. Because like I said, I don't think 
it doesn't have it doesn't we don't really see like I don't see as an investor any value and it does, there needs to be something behind the value it can't just exist in the ether but that's my opinion on it uh, I won't get it too further into that there is some intrinsic value there with what it provides in the blockchain but we won't get into that this is quick hitters okay buy or sell leasing a car leasing a car yeah How is this a buy and sell answer? Like, wait, you're, <laughs> you're like, you mean buy a car like with debt and you have to pay it off? Or what, like, what, basically, would you lease a car? Yes or no? Is that a smart business move? I, I don't know. I, I would. I, what do you mean by leasing a car? Like, you mean like you buy a car, but you buy it with debt, so you just got to make payments. No, but but that's, no, that's he's talking about he's talking about leasing. I'm talking you, about like getting like a two year lease on a car where you pay a certain amount and then after that that time's over, like you give the car back and you either get another car or do something else. Oh, you mean kind of like leasing to other people? Oh, I don't. Oh, gee, I have no experience with that. I'm sorry. I, okay. I know, like, you, you, like this is kind of like an age of Uber kind of thing or something or or Lyft, where you're talking about when you rent out the car to other people so they can use it. And I, I have no idea about that. I'm sorry. I, I wouldn't know. I'm too ignorant on that. Okay. Uh, buy or sell? Gyms. A gym? Like G Y M? Yeah. Uh, mm, mm, 90% sell. I wouldn't buy it. I mean, I don't know. It, it depends. It, I, most gyms, I, I mean, gyms are a hard business to get into, but I, I don't understand it. Uh, so I don't. I see when I when I go on uh, business for sale websites, I see uh, I see a lot of gyms for sale like Snap Fitness, Anytime Fitness. So apparently, like a lot of people are selling them. So maybe they're not as profitable. Maybe if you get your own gym franchise, but once again, that's a business operation, it's not an investment. So I wouldn't do that. Cannabis and cannabis related businesses. Uh, if it has a if it has a solid history of earnings, yes, I buy it. What about like uh, betting against the government? So like you know how Louisiana just did not ratify legal marijuana, but would you ever try to? And this is probably stupid for Louisiana. Guess what our government's going to do and try to place a wager on that, or is that more future and not historic? Well, typically you don't want to. A bet is not an investment operation, but. It doesn't mean a bet is a bad thing. I mean, if you if you I think one of my relatives made money off of Donald Trump when Donald Trump got elected because you know what happened was everyone thought well, the media was trying to say Hillary's going to win. She had a high probability of winning, so the odds increased. So the so basically the payout went to like three to one, four to one, and even five to one for like the closer it got to the election. So. If you bet on Trump to win, you can bet like you bet a thousand, you get like five thousand back, right? And like it was something like that, and he made money off of it. And I kind of, uh, I kind of analyzed, the, like analyzed it, and I drew a decision tree, and I was like, well, actually, that is, even if Trump only had a thirty percent chance to win, he pays out four or five times the winning, so it's still a good bet. But you know, it, it, I wouldn't usually majority of bets like that, like. Guessing what the government's going to do, I wouldn't do unless unless the odds were like, you know, you, you don't you don't just look at the odds like, well, it's a fifty percent chance for this, fifty percent chance. You also got to look at the, the magnitude of the win. So, I mean, a fighter could have a, a fighter could only have a twenty percent chance to win a fight, but if he pays out fifteen times what 
the other person, which is obviously a rare, like a, a really rare event, it might still be a good bet to bet on him because it pays out 15 times. So you got to look at the magnitude too. So it really depends. But it, so, for example, if you thought that uh, cannabis or sports betting were is going to be federally legal in the near future, wouldn't it make investment sense to bet on a bunch of companies in those industries and hope to cash in when that news comes through in the coming years? No, it wouldn't be wise if they don't have a tough, solid history of earnings. Just because, uh, I mean, they have, to have, they have to have a good history. Because just, just because something's in a, even if something isn't a proven, like that's not even proven yet. That's not even proven it's going to happen. So, But even if something isn't a proven good industry, like when airlines were in the boom back in the uh, 40s and 50s, and, you know, and when automobiles were in the boom in the early 20th century, and when railroads were in boom back in the uh, 19th century, the majority of companies still went out of business. So you don't want to buy these companies, because just because something's in a good industry doesn't mean it's going to be a, that the business is good. It's like two okay. different things. All right, Al, how many more of those you got there? I got a bunch, but we can only do a couple more. Uh, I, I, have a feel, I have a feeling uh, he wants to, like, we're going to talk about cryptocurrency in the future, but like you seem, you seem pretty passionate about that. I was like, oh, well. Maybe old geezers don't know what they're talking about. But, oh, they uh, definitely I don't. To... I know a 95-year-old guy has no idea what a Bitcoin even is. He just uh, says rat poison. All right, next buy or sell. Social media companies. Uh, no, Google's an excellent company. Um, Facebook is – I still, I still – you know, Facebook's been having some kind of – trouble lately but they went they, their stock price rose uh, from like a year ago or something now google's an excellent company it's, uh what would be another company um what, what's another social media company twitter um, snapchat well I, I, i'm thinking of grinder stocks, which is like amazon i mean it's Tinder, like apple bumble yeah it's like it's like apple you know amazon and all this all the stocks are obviously great businesses but um Actual, I know, like, I'm thinking Google, I'm thinking YouTube, you know, or Facebook. That's like social media. Um, I don't know if there's another public good. The Snapchat, isn't Snapchat publicly traded? Yes. Um, I don't think, I don't know. I, uh, Snapchat, like Twitter and Snapchat stocks, I, I don't really think I would buy them. I, gotta, I, haven't looked at, I haven't looked at them recently, though. I haven't seen what their financials are. I just know, like, Twitter, Twitter didn't really have any earning, like, it didn't really earn any money. It was kind of just... And plus, this kind of seems like an old platform anyway. I mean, a lot of people still use it, but it, it just seems like because like it restricted to a certain number of characters, and it just seems kind of like too I don't know, outdated for me. But Snapchat, at the same time, it kind of just is. Snapchat's really for girls to like look more sexy and look like Disney characters. So it's kind of I don't know. I really don't know if I believe in the business that much. It's, that has nothing to do with what it's earning though. But I got to look. I would have to look at those stocks. Google Google's obviously excellent. Um, there was an excellent buy right now. I said, well, I, I would have bought it if it went to 115, but it kind of stayed. It went to like one, like 10, so it's like a thousand, you know, $1,034, $33, and it went right back up. I would have bought it when it went down a little bit more. All right. I guess I just have one more. Buy or sell fedoras? That depends. I mean, no one wears fedoras anymore, and I kind of like, I may wear one once every two years. Like, nah, I mean, well, first of all, you don't it's a lot of value. <laughs> you don't Nobody wears them. You wear one once every two years, but when it comes out, it makes the panties drop. 
Well, I don't know about making panties. I don't think he makes a panties draft, but I do think it, I do like I do miss the time period where guys like wore hats. I know kind of no one really wears hats anymore unless they're like baseball caps. But I do I do like I, I mean I do like fedoras in certain situations. All right, so that's a buy. All right, Harley, you want to go into the uh, more into this dating uh, situation here? So, w- a couple things. So, we're going to talk about a little bit about dating, and I know Kenny's got some very, uh, uh, how do I say, some some he's got some hot takes on th- how males date nowadays, and I know he's not very he's not very happy with any of us. This would be an airing of grievances of how males date, but so Kenny just. Big picture, from what I understand, when you were in the military, there's a lot of chicks that are trying to get with military guys. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, the thing is, y'all, I mean, I know you, Harley, so, I mean, y'all might be uh, having more long-term experience than me because I'm more like, I don't know, my, my relationships tend to be a lot uh, quicker. So, you, I mean, as far as staying, you know, being happy with a girl, staying with her, living with her, obviously. I mean, I don't have that much experience. But, uh, no, no, what I'm saying is, hold on, computer went that down again. But, no, um, yeah, so to answer your question, you know, when you're in the military, there's more, like, there's a lot of women for guys in the military. And it gives you a little bit of advantage, I suppose. Well, th- there was, like, an app, right, that where they could kind of get in contact with you? Like, didn't you meet up with, a, with uh, somebody that found you that way off of some kind of app? Well, you know, you like uh, I, this is back in well, 2000. Well, there was dating websites back in 2008, 2009, and yeah, 2010 too. Like, you, you know, I, I might go to some dating sites, but the key was, you know, I have a as far as dating tips. You now we live in, in my like we live in a declining society, so men like men today should enjoy themselves. I believe. I mean, obviously, you don't want to. I mean, if you find a great woman, obviously, you should settle down. I mean, ideally, you want to do that. But if you are gonna like play the field and date, I mean, you want to do something where you just you you decrease resistance. So you either want to go to a place where it's very touristy, where people have like a what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas mentality, or you want to go where you're outnumbered, as in the military. So like you know, if I go when you go on the military, the reason military dating websites are so superior, most people won't know them because they weren't in the military. Most men won't know it because they weren't in the military. But um. The reason why they're superior is because there's more women looking for men in the military than there are men in the military. Whereas if you go to something like Match.com or Plenty of Fish or these other sites, you're on a equal there's an equal amount, so you don't get as many prospects. So it's just, you know, it's just it's about it's about decreasing resistance. If you go to a place where you're there's, there's two women or three women to every one man, I mean, it's bound to be a lot better than going to a place where there's people. Now, why do these women seek out military men? Do they? Is it true that they just like a man in uniform? Yes, they. I guess, well, I guess they they find it something they respect. I mean, other than the uniform, either they they see that's something. Many women respect that. I guess whether it's the guy serving to fight his country, or he just looks handsome in a uniform, or he looks or he's fit, he's fit enough to be in the military. There's some aspect they respect about it. Now, you said uh, a little bit earlier that we are in a declining society so men should just enjoy themselves if we were in a inclining society what should men do then well i'm not I'm, i mean ideally no matter what society you're in you should be i don't know settling down and having children because that's the ideal that's the moral 
standard of Western civilization. I mean, it doesn't, but nowadays it's kind of like, well, I mean, I mean, nowadays it's a lot, I mean, it's kind of a lot, people aren't having kids as much. It's kind of, and plus women are, you know, it's, it's, I, you know, I feel men should, like, the society is declining, so I'm not really sure how to answer that. There's no real way, good way to answer, oh, well, men should just play the field. I mean, ideally, morally, they shouldn't, but it is, it is what it is. Women are going to do it anyway, so it's kind of like, it's kind of adapting to the times, I suppose. So, Kenny, big picture, how do, how do people that, that are in their 30s, uh, end up meeting women where's the best place to where's the best place to do this because we have a friend named craig and he just meets women at strip clubs or at places like uh twin peaks or tight ends or twisted kilts and he, he's not he's not he's not been doing very good so how could we steer him in the right direction well i would i would how to find him get a girlfriend is different than how to like find him get like have him get laid. Well, he's not getting laid I mean, anyway. He's got a lot of well, strippers well, on his phone. I mean, this is like a bad. Said, you want to go, you want to stay away from locals. Um, like you, what you want to do, like if you want to get laid, if you, if you want to get laid, you want to, uh, well, the outnumbered thing is like, there's like when there's more women than men, like obviously military, that's both to get laid and to, and to meet a, and to meet a wife. So if you don't want to, you don't get, if you know, if you're not the type of person who wants to get laid, you want to meet a wife. It's still, it's still the same thing applies, but, Otherwise, you want to go where you're a novelty, which is, you know, you go to you go to touristy spots where there's a lot of tourists. Like in New Orleans, there's a lot of tourists, so they have like there's no resistance. They have no, they're not worried about being judged. They don't have a what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Laissez bon temps rouler. Yeah, yeah, they don't. They're just, you know, they're they're relaxed and they're you know they're. You can wear a bead on like a unique looking bead on your neck on Bourbon Street and. Some girls might come up to you like it's a, I don't know, $5,000 Rolex because it looks strange. You know, it's just, it's just, it's hers. The atmosphere is just a lot more fun. And plus you can bounce, especially on New Orleans, you can bounce around. You're not restricted to one place. And like Vegas is a tourist, a touristy place, but I think the distances are greater. It's like you really can't, I don't know if you can really bounce around from place. I've never been to Vegas, but I don't know if you can bounce around from place to place as easy as you can Bourbon Street. So no, you, you cannot. Want to to, yeah. So you want to go, you want to go to a place that kind of, that's touristy. You go to a bar. There's not too many people in it. You just walk out, go to another one, and there's a lot of tourists. There's a carefree attitude. I mean, just tell them the certain tips. Like, if you see 20, stay away from locals, stay away from girls who are dressed the same. So, or it, anyone are dressed the same. This goes for girls trying to meet guys, too. But if you stay away from anyone who's dressed the same. So if you go to, a, if you go to like, a, a bar in Bourbon Street, you see there's a bunch of bachelorettes in the, in the park, in, in, the, in the bar. Like, like, let's say there's 20 bachelorettes. It's kind of a big number, but 20 bachelorettes are all dressed the same. You subtract 20 from the total, and that's the number of women you have in the bar. So that's uh, that's kind of the truth of it. Because you know, stay away from people who are, like, dressed the same because they have culty attitude. They have a very culty kind of mentality. And they're not going to let you in. You know, it's kind of it, – it's weird. It's like a weird thing. But uh, and certainly stay away from bachelorette parties because they're not – I don't know, girls – once again, they're all dressed the same. They have a very culty attitude. So – you see twenty of them. You see ten of them in a bar club. You subtract ten, so they don't count. Yeah, but so what if a hot good. volleyball team walks in? Like, I'm just supposed to ignore that? No, no. Do not go to any girl who is dressed the same, unless you're somehow. If you were in a fraternity, I would never join a fraternity. But I have to tell you, if a guy was in a fraternity and a girl's in a sorority, who's to like, say you would get in? And they, and they co-mingle or something. That's fine. But for 99% of the population, 
you're an outsider to them, and it's just not. There's too much resistance. You don't want to deal with it. So it's kind like so. Can you know, it's like for example, these girls who dress the same on Bourbon Street. They will. I went to. I went to the beach, which is it's it's a bar. Oh, Street. I've been there. Yeah, and like there's these there's like these ten girls all wearing the they dress the same, all wearing the same exact shoes, the same exact white little shoes, and. There was, but there was one in the crowd who was wearing the exact same shoe, but they were gray. So she comes up to the bar near me, and I ask, and I just to, to mess with her, actually, she's the cult leader because she's the only one in the group. They have the same shoes, and she has the same shoes, only they're gray. And like the other nine girls have all white shoes. So I asked if she was the cult leader, and uh, but just by talking with her, you can see how, you know, why you, you know you don't want to deal with these people because she, they were from South Carolina. It was their first time in New Orleans, and they were in that bar the whole night. I went, I went to that bar, had two drinks, went to, went left the bar, went to a place for like an hour and a half, went to a couple other places, came back an hour and a half later, and they were still in that bar, which and it was the first night in New Orleans, which means none of them had the independent initiative to leave the bar and maybe go explore New Orleans. They all stayed in the same place and like and standing in a circle. So you don't want to. I mean, they are who they are. I don't want to judge them, but at the same time, you don't want to talk. You know, you know, as a guy looking for a girl, you don't talk to them. You have a cult mentality, so you're, you're and you're not part of the cult. So that's one of the tips I have. Well, I mean, also, Kenny, <laughs> do, don't you don't you think that uh, the pickup line is "Are you the cult leader?" might not have been the best pickup line. Well, I didn't really care. I mean, I, I knew like I. I, I delimited, like I, when I saw her, when I saw her, well, first of all, they're young college girls. I think this was like a, this was might have been like three or four years ago. So Shooter's going to shoot. I was still, I was still in my thirties, so they're young college girls. But at the same time, I knew, like I knew. I, first of all, I saw them, and I'm, like they're standing, they're, they're acting all culty and stuff. So I knew, I didn't, I didn't really care about. I didn't, I didn't try to hit on her. So that's yeah. Okay. Do you, um Al, do you have any other dating questions you think we could uh we could tackle? Huh. Well, I mean, got dating tips. Does your friends? I mean, your friend, like I said, you need. I don't know if you, I don't know if you've been serving the military. I mean, where you can go if you always in like even if he's a cop or a firefighter, but you know if he can find a, a site where there's more women than men, then he would certainly like those dating. The military sites are also for firefighters and police. But if he wants to meet a girl, he wants. He should go to a place that's like novel. And that's why you always. I mean, that's some somewhere that like you're treated like a novelty. So like I mean, if he goes on a obviously so, like I got like dating tips. Like if he goes on a date with a girl, and you know don't sit across from her because it feels like an interview. It feels adversary adversarial. So always sit next to a girl when you go on a date with her. It's three. It's the same reason. It feels it feels more. Uh, I don't know. It feels more personal and more. It's kind of the same reason why the cop. The cop, when the good cop, whenever you get interrogated, sits next to you. He always he doesn't he never sits across from you. He sits next to you because he wants to make it seem like he's part of the same team. So little like little tips like that. Well, that's uh, that's very that's very good stuff, Kenny, and I appreciate all the time you got for us. So uh, this, this well, was. You gotta go. Just tell your friend like the last thing to tell your friend is just improve. Just tell him to read books or do whatever you like. We've been trying to get him to lose weight for about two years, and so far it ain't taken. He's just gained. We actually just won a weight loss challenge with him as he weighs in tomorrow. He was supposed to lose 27.5 pounds, and he gained 
like eight pounds. Uh, well, I mean, I guess, I mean, I'm not the skinniest guy anymore. I'm kind of like a skinny fat guy. I mean, I'm not fat, but I'm not skinny. You're built like and, Daniel Tosh? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a skinny fat guy. But, uh, you know, I read, the thing is, I read a lot of books, so I kind of like, you know, it just kind of offsets it. But if you always improve yourself, because if you improve yourself, you always you tend to, you'll tend to attract better people. So, you know, whether, you might have to read books. I don't know if get in shape or do whatever, or do whatever is aspiration. Just read, you know, whatever he respects or whatever he wants to do, just take the best the best workers in that field, the most successful people in that field, and maybe try to, like, learn from them. You know, he'll, and eventually he might attract a, you know, he'll attract a better woman. All right, we'll try to pass that along to him, but he's a little thick in the head, so. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean. And, and he likes to invest, you know, 200 to $400 a week in a strip club, so. I that's mean, not investing. Have you learned nothing, Harley? Well, I mean, it's a rate of return on the, the strippers. You know, they're going to college, well, I, Al. Saturday, strippers aren't Saturday. I mean, I don't know. It's just a waste of time. I mean, you're spending money for a cheese, and I don't know. It's just, I don't like the, I don't even like looking at Instagram models because <laughs> it makes you feel, it makes you feel dirty because they're kind of, they're not, you know, if a girl sends me an erotic picture or like a, or like a sexy picture, I appreciate it. But if I know she's sending, if she's showing that to like hundreds of thousands and uh, millions of guys for money, then it kind of just feels like, it's, not, it's just dirty feelings. So, I don't know. It's not. It's he's. In, he, that sounds like he's got some unhealthy habits. He's got to like tackle. I mean, it's kind of. That's why, an understatement. I mean, why, yeah, it's like it's like why would you? I don't. I don't want to look at an Instagram model because it's not like it's like it's almost it's borderline prostitution because she's like showing her body for money, and it's like it's not special because she's not. You know, it's not like like I meet a girl and she's sending me two pictures of herself and uh, and it's really. It's, I appreciate it. It's really sweet, but it's not the same thing. I mean, I don't know. The money thing, it just kind of, it's just, it's an unhealthy habit. So you would have to get over that, I suppose. Kenny, when, when you're getting the cute pictures, what's the protocol? What do you send back? If she sends you a cute picture, what's your, what's the dating protocol? I don't know. Just compliment her. Okay. So you don't, you don't send images back. You're just, I mean, compliment. No. I mean, you said he he said Snapchats for girls looking at the filter, so he's not on there whipping back a dick pic. I wasn't. Ta- I don't want to. I don't really well, care because I, I didn't, dick say, pics. didn't say something as crude as a dick pic, but like I know. Uh, no, first of all, that's I'm a you know I'm not the best looker, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, I'm a guy, so girls don't have the same. You know, it's not the same showing up. A guy trying to show off his physical features is the same as a girl trying to show off. Yeah, you show her your bank account, right? And show her your investment properties, and that's a panty dropper. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> like, I usually, I don't know, I'll mention that a little bit later, but it's not, you know, I got, but basically when a girl sends you, like, nice pictures and she likes you, and I don't know, it's really, it's really sweet. But going, going to a strip club, I never, I would, you know, I, I went to the strip club once in my life, I think, or maybe twice, but, like, Years and years ago, I think on my on leave in Iraq, I went to a strip club. You went to like a, a strip little, club in Iraq? No, no, on leave. Excuse me, on leave when I was in Iraq. When I came home from leave, I went to a strip. It was some little strip club in Metairie or something. It was just I don't know. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, know. I don't want. It just feels like weird and just I don't know, paying a girl. Like if he's he, if he's content just paying a girl to dance with him, then I don't think I don't know. He might not. Once he has to put effort, he'd be like, hmm, maybe I'll just go back to the strip club and just give this girl like a 10 because it doesn't, there's no effort involved. That's his problem. But, yeah. It's his, I, would, I don't know. It's not. Kenny, how much would we have to pay you to go to the strip club with this, you in a fedora and gloves? 
how much you have to pay me to do that? What? It's not really too. It's not really too embarrassing. I mean, it'd, it'd be like I don't know. It's not. I won't feel. A sh- it's not like me going into there. Well, I'm saying you've only been to a strip club like one time, so you obviously don't want to go back. So that that's the really the reason why I'm paying you. But I think it'd be fun if we all dressed up, you know, old mob style, and walked in with our buddy Craig, who's you know a local. Do I smoke a cigar? I don't. I don't know. I, oh yeah! I mean, now you're talking, you Kenny. You typically want to stay away from. Uh, I don't know. I want to stay away from strip clubs, but I don't know. It's. I don't know, like I said, I've been there maybe like back. It was back in 2009, I think. I went to a strip club or something. I was like, not. It was like whatever. It just. I just like I don't want to do it again. I just did it to say I would did it, and, and I was on leave in Iraq, and I mean, I, I was going back to Iraq in like a week. I was like, I might as well do it. Do you feel like maybe you just picked the wrong one since you did it? Like, sounds like a shithole in Metairie. Well, no, I went to, uh, also went to, I don't know. There was one on, uh, I, I was walking to Burn Street once and my friends were like, I saw friends from St. Grant Parish and they were like, oh, well, we're going to the, and I actually went in with them. It was, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It was, it was one on Bourbon Street. It was like near Bourbon Street or something. I don't know what it was called. But it was, they went, we went to that one too. But no, it's just the idea. The idea of paying a girl to dance on me is just—I'm not—I don't know. It's just—it's just too soulless to me. All right, and with that, Al, thank you for all your research, Kenny. I do feel you missed out on an investment opportunity on this podcast, and we can't wait to prove you wrong. And um, we appreciate all your time. Thanks for the motivation, Kenny. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. If you want to talk about anything else, just let me know. No, we will, and I'm sure we'll get some good feedback, and I'll pass it along to you.